The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 19, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. I'm not going to read the sermon verses today because obviously it's a very long sermon. We have 40 uh, verses. We're going to go through every single verse during the uh, sermon, and then we'll have a poem at the end. You had a choice, either the sermon verses at the beginning or the sermon verses in poem form at the end. I'm going with the poem. I spent all that time typing it. I'm going to do it. Having said that also, before we actually get going, when I was sitting uh, watching Jim at the beginning. First, we were singing, and uh, Jim was up there, and at some point, Sergio handed me the iPad, and he showed me a comment that someone online said. She said, I think it was a she. This person uh, said, I'm giddy that Charlie's sermon is coming up. And I thought, we haven't even done the prophecy update, and she's giddy about the coming sermon. That is a person after my own heart. The word of the Lord is so much more rich than a temporary fleeting prophecy update. If we could get all the people that watch the prophecy updates to get interested in the Bible, it would just, it would make my day. I'd be Clint Eastwood, make my day. But unfortunately, you know, people just don't seem to have the love of the word, but that really touched me. I want to thank that person. Like I say, I didn't look at the name. He just showed me the uh, comment and it, it really, that was it. All right. Due to the high number of verses in our intro, or in our sermon today, our intro is going to be short. Our text verse comes from Isaiah 1, it's verses 10 and 11. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. 
To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. The Lord mandated the sacrifices and offerings mentioned in our text verse, and yet it says that he had had enough of them and that he had no delight in them. How can that be when they were mandated by him? It is because the people's hearts were wicked and their conduct was abominable, and yet they purposed to come before him as if nothing was wrong. The sacrifices took care of their guilt, and so the guilt didn't matter, did it? That is the attitude of many of us. Well, almost all of us to some extent. I am saved by Christ, so this particular sin doesn't matter. I'm already forgiven. Some sects even take the doctrine of grace to mean that we can live however we want. But both the law and grace say exactly the opposite. We should live in a more holy manner, not less so. Israel failed and the Lord tired of them and their offerings. The church is failing. The Lord is removing lampstands from churches, and he is tiring of the people in them. Just because the offerings are mandated and made, it doesn't mean that everything is A-OK. And just because Calvary saw the death of Jesus Christ for us, it does not mean that we can take that sacrifice and then weary our God with how we use it. May it never be so. Such precious lessons are to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I got a few thoughts for you today. The first is offerings for the day of acclamation. It's verses one through six. So far, the required offerings have followed a logical and orderly pattern. The first mentioned were the daily offerings, and then the weekly or Sabbath offerings, and then the monthly or new moon offerings. From there, the offerings at the annual observances have been named. First came Passover and unleavened bread, and then the Feast of Weeks. We saw that last week. These have come in order on the annual redemptive calendar, which starts in the springtime around March or April. Now the annual observances continue with those which are observed in the fall around September, October, beginning with verse 1, and in the seventh month on the first day of the month. You may remember that the original calendar, that of creation, began in the seventh month. This continued until the time of the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 12, the Lord said this to Israel. This was in the spring when the Lord proclaimed the institution of the Passover. He said, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. What was the seventh month of the creation calendar became the first month of the redemption calendar. And what was the first month of the creation calendar became the seventh month of the redemption calendar. The original Hebrew name of this month is Ethanim. This name, Ethanim, is prefixed by an article, Ha-Ethanim, and it means the permanent flowings. That name is found only in 1 Kings 8 verse 2. If you see in there the name Ethan or Ethan, that's where the name Ethan, if you know an Ethan, comes from. We've got one sitting in the church today. Okay, so his name means perennial or flowing. The I am at the end would be plural, and so it's the permanent flowings or the perennial flowings. After the Babylonian exile, the Aramaic name Tishri was brought into use, and that continues to this day. The first day of this seventh month was already set aside as a special feast day. 
in Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25. There, these instructions were given. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. As was seen there, and is now repeated here in Numbers, verse 1 continues, You shall have a holy convocation. Mikra Kodesh Yeyelachem. Convocation holy shall be for you. The entire day was to be a festive occasion. As this is the first of the month, it would coincide with the new moon celebration mentioned elsewhere, including in the previous chapter where the offerings for each new moon were detailed. By proclaiming a holy convocation, it means that, verse 1 continues, you shall do no customary work. Meleket avodah lo ta'asu. Work servile, no you shall do. This then is not a Sabbath. It is a day on which customary work, meaning the labor of one's profession, was not to be engaged in. However, meals could be prepared on such a day, and it is therefore not a Sabbath. One can think of any of our special holidays. We don't normally work our regular jobs, but we have barbecues, picnics, and things like that. We rejoice in what the day signifies. The same is true here. In Leviticus 23, verse 24, which we just cited, it said, You shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets. The word translated as Sabbath rest there is Shabbaton. It is used 11 times in the Bible, all in Exodus and Leviticus, and all but three are conjoined with the word Shabbat, or Sabbath. That would then indicate a Sabbath of complete rest. Because this is not conjoined with the word Sabbath, it is not a Sabbath per se, but rather simply a rest. It would be better translated as a solemn rest. The people were to rejoice in the Lord and have a special day off. As seen in the previous sermon on the monthly offerings, however, because this feast coincides with the new moon, it was elevated to a special place comparable to a Sabbath. And even more, in Amos, the new moon can be seen to not only be a day of observation to the Lord, but a day of rest among the people. Here's what it says in Amos 8. When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel large, falsifying the scales by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, even sell the bad wheat? The new moon was a day like the Sabbath when selling was not allowed. This is not mandated by the Lord directly, but eventually it was considered a day set apart in a unique way, just as the Sabbath was. Therefore, because this feast day coincides with the new moon, it was to be considered a very special day. Not a Sabbath, but like a Sabbath in some ways. Verse 1 going on, For you it is a day of blowing the trumpets. Yom Teruah Yeyelachem. Day acclamation shall be for you. This verse is where the term Yom Teruah comes from, and this day is often called that. The words of blowing the trumpets gives a false sense of the Hebrew. The noun Teruah is singular, and it signifies a shout or a blast of war, alarm, or joy. It comes from the verb Ruah, which means to raise a shout or give a blast. Certainly, this would include trumpets, but the idea is celebrating with all kinds of noise. Thus, I call it day of acclamation. 
That's my term, but it fits the intent of the Hebrew very well. Today in Israel, because they do not use the redemption calendar, people call this day Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year. This is carried into Christian commentaries on the day, but it is an inappropriate term from a biblical perspective when speaking of this feast day. This is not the head of the redemptive year, but rather the seventh month of it. When reading, studying, or watching a video about this day, remember, no Rosh Hashanah. For this day, Yom Teruah, or the Feast of Acclamation, Israel is now given further instructions. Verse 2, you shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. In Leviticus 23, verse 25, which was cited a couple minutes ago, it said, you shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. The Lord specified that an offering by fire was to be made to him, but no details were provided. Now that offering is detailed. One can see, as we have seen before, the people who are now about to enter the land of promise are given the necessary details that had not yet been provided. What may seem haphazard or out of place is actually logical, orderly, and perfectly placed in anticipation of the days ahead when the people will receive their inheritance. In this offering, there's a slight change from the other offerings where a bull has been mandated. In the monthly offerings, as well as in the unleavened bread and weeks offerings, two young bulls were required. Here, only one is. The explanation of the significance of a bull offering and why there were two was given back then. Here, only one is required, probably because of what this day anticipates, the day of the birth of the coming Messiah. He is the one who would come to defeat the devil. As everything in his work is future at his birth, the offering of one bull on this day makes complete sense. The symbolism of the two bulls is seen on this day, though because this day is also a new moon celebration. There would first be the normal daily offerings, then the regular monthly offerings, and only then would these special feast day offerings be made. The symbolism of the one ram and the seven lambs has already been explained a few times, and if you've forgotten that, just head back to one of the sermons from chapter 28 and go brush up. And again, as with all of such animal offerings, they are to be tamim or without blemish. As always, the perfection of the animal looks ahead to the perfection of God in Christ, making a suitable offering of himself for what these offerings pictured. Verse 3, their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram. These are the same amounts for the previous bull and ram offerings, and they carry the same meaning here as they have in those offerings. Everything looks to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. This is the same amount as with the other lamb offerings, and it carries the same pictures of Christ as in those. As I said, I'm not going to redo all of this. You've seen it in already four or five sermons, so we don't need to repeat it again today. Verse 5, also one kid of the goats is a sin offering to make atonement for you. This is the same type of sin offering as is previously detailed in the monthly offering and for that of the Passover and for the Feast of Weeks. It carries the same symbolism as at all other times. If you don't remember, receive one demerit and go brush up. Here's something which is not fully explained. As this is a festival which occurs on the same day as a new moon celebration, and as there is already a goat sin offering made, 
then does this sin offering replace that of the new moon celebration, or are there two sin offerings, one for the new moon and one for the annual feast? The next verse, which speaks of the daily and monthly offerings, does not mention a sin offering. And because of this, one might assume that only one goat sin offering would be made. But the text does not answer the question either way. If two were made, and this is speculation based on a lack of information, it would tell us that either sin offering is not merely for the general and overall atonement of the people, but that one is for atonement of the month's sins, and the other is for atonement to be acceptable for the feast itself. Without clarification, it's very hard to be certain. Nothing else is stated concerning this. As noted, at least the new moon and daily burnt offerings are explicitly detailed next. Verse 6, besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings, according to the ordinance as a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. These words are given as before to ensure that the regular prescribed offerings are conducted in addition to the feast day offerings. One does not replace the other, but all are required. As I said, though, nothing is said here concerning the mandatory new moon goat sin offering. Was that required, or does the feast day sin offering suffice? I wish I could give you an answer, but the word does not say explicitly either way. Shout out to the Lord. Shout out with acclamation. It is he who is our king and he who rules over us. Shout out to the Lord, you holy nation. Shout out to the King, our Lord Jesus. Let the sound be loud. Shout out joyfully. Let the land be filled with the noise to herald the King. Don't sit and be silent. Don't act so coyfully. Get up, people. Raise your voices and sing. It is he who has created and he who has redeemed us. It is he who sits as King upon the throne of heaven. It is he who rules, even our King, Jesus. So shout aloud at the beginning of month number seven. And before we go on, we might as well do what they did. There we go. Acclamation. Acclamation, that's right. Our second thought today is offerings for the Day of Atonement. It's verses 7 through 11. Verse 7, on the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. The second annual feast of this sacred seventh month is what is considered to be the holiest day in the redemptive calendar. The feast, like Passover, is given a specific calendar day to be observed, which is the tenth day of the seventh month. And so it was to commence at evening of the ninth day of the month and continue until the evening of the tenth day. It being in the seventh month is not because it has a future fulfillment in Christ, as so many incorrectly claim, but because of what it signifies in Christ. Having gone through the Day of Atonement passages in Leviticus 16 and 23, we know that this day was fulfilled in Christ's crucifixion. That did not occur on the tenth day of the seventh month. Rather, it occurred on the fourteenth day of the first month. However, Atonement logically follows redemption. A person is redeemed and then the sins are atoned for, even if these things happen simultaneously in God's mind. No reason is given here or anywhere else as to why the tenth day of the month is selected for this special day. 
Jewish tradition, and it is only a tradition, it's not in the Bible, is that this is the day that Moses received the second set of tablets concerning the Ten Commandments. And if you count the days, it could be very close, and so it may be. The Day of Atonement comes logically prior to the Feast of Tabernacles, which commences on the 15th day of the same month. Tabernacles pictures Christ dwelling in a tabernacle of flesh and his people dwelling with him. This could not be realized in its fullest sense until after the sins of the people are atoned for. Thus, this feast precedes that of Sukkot. These things are important to remember because, as was explained when we went through the feasts of the Lord, it is a very common claim that the three fall feasts are not yet fulfilled in Christ and that they will only be fulfilled in his second advent. That is false, and that is heresy. To say that Christ has not fulfilled these feasts is to say that Christ did not fulfill the law, because the feasts are a part of the law. If this is true, then the law would still be binding on us, but in Christ the law is annulled. There is no future fulfillment of these feasts, even if there are continuing applications of them. Christ died once for all sinners, but each sinner's day of atonement comes on whatever day he comes to Christ. It is great error to say that these feasts are yet to be fulfilled. I'm not one to claim heresy widely. People do that all the time. Oh, that's a heresy. That's a heresy. There are very few things that are heresy, but one of them is saying that Christ did not fulfill the law. We went word through word of these Leviticus 23 sermons, and it is as apparent as the nose on your face that all of them are fulfilled in their entirety in Christ. Be very careful not to get into these Hebrew roots movement things and teachings that say that Christ hasn't done this and hasn't done that. He has fulfilled this law entirely. Verse 7 continues, you shall afflict your souls. And you shall afflict your souls. These words are exactly repeated four times in Leviticus and here in Numbers. All refer to the Day of Atonement. It is generally accepted that afflict your souls means to fast. The people were to deny themselves food. However, it certainly also included refraining from any other pleasures and also an active affliction of remembering the sins of the past year and mourning over them. In Acts 27, verse 9, this day is referred to as Tin Nistian, or the fast, thus signifying the manner in which this day was conducted. But the word has greater meaning in Christ, where it twice says in Isaiah 53 that he was anna, or afflicted, on our behalf. As Christ was so afflicted, the people were to <clears throat> anticipate that august life and atoning sacrifice with the afflicting of their own souls. They were not to do any work of any kind as well, acknowledging that they were in a state of affliction. Nothing regular was to be done, but rather this was to be a special Sabbath. And because of this, verse 7 continues, you shall not do any work. This is also repeated in both Leviticus 16 and in Leviticus 23. And in fact, there is a high stress on it in Leviticus 23, repeating it several times in just a few verses. The picture there is that the Lord did the work, and we are to rest in what he accomplished. In this day of remembrance, like the other annual feasts mentioned in this chapter, special offerings were to be made. Verse 8, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish. 
These are the same offerings given as for the day of acclamation, one bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year, and all without blemish. We can surmise that the one bull instead of two again points to Christ in a unique way. As he came to defeat the devil, the offering of himself points to the absolute completion of that fact for each person who comes to him. Although there is an ongoing aspect to Christ's work in our lives, his one-time offering sufficiently sums up everything else. Verse 9, their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the one ram. This is word for word and letter for letter identical to verse 29.3. These are the same amounts for the previous bull and ram offerings, and they carry the same meaning. Now, how do I know it's word for word and letter for letter? Because I put them up side by side and I check it. Word for word and letter for letter. And the reason why I do that is because there may be a difference. And you're going to see some differences in the next feast in just a couple of minutes. There's a reason why the Lord puts those things in there, why he will change one little thing. Sometimes I know the reason, I can figure it out, and sometimes I don't. Today, you're going to hear some that I could not, okay? But that's how I know it's word for word and letter for letter. Verse 10, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. And once again, this is the same amount as with the other (coughs) lamb offerings. And it carries the same pictures of Christ as in those. Verse 11, also one kid of the goats is a sin offering. Besides the sin offering for atonement, the regular burn offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. Here, a goat for a sin offering is required, along with the sin offering for the rites so specifically detailed in Leviticus 16. Both goat offerings were still required, which makes the lack of specificity from the previous section even more difficult. When something like that happens, like I explained to you in that previous section, it drives me insane because the Bible doesn't tell you either way. And so we don't want to make any presuppositions about the Word of God. We just want to give the information and let it stand. We're too required as here. It's hard to know for sure. An offering for sin to restore the peace. I come to petition my God at the brazen altar. Until I do, the enmity will never cease. But knowing he will forgive in this, I will not falter. At the altar and by the door of the tent, the animal is slain. Its life ebbs away. In that exchange, God's wrath is spent. Harmony is restored and has come a new day. Innocent and pure, no fault of its own, the death truly touches my heart. But in this exchange, I am clearly shown that only through death can there be a new start. Thank God that another can die in my place. In his death, I can again look upon God's face. Our third thought today is offerings for tabernacles. It's verses 12 through 40. Verse 12, on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. This, like unleavened bread, commences at the time of the full moon. However, where unleavened bread follows the Passover, the main day connected to this feast is the final day, eighth day. Thus, The two great days form bookends on the redemptive calendar's annual feasts. You've got Passover and then a week of feasts. Here you have a week of feasts and then the final closing thing. So these are bookends. It's marvelous if you look at all this laid out in chart form. Marvelous how God has woven together the feasts of the Lord. Verse 12 continues, You shall do no customary work and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. Again, this indicates a time of rest, but not Sabbath rest except for the Sabbath or Sabbaths, which naturally would occur during the days of the feast. 
verse 13. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. Why thirteen? Anybody? Seems like an odd number to start with, doesn't it? You'll find out in a few minutes. We will go through these offerings with minimal comment. It is enough to say that there are a greater number of offerings made here than at any other time during the year. All of the other offerings probably point to gratitude to the Lord for the great harvests of the people in the year's harvest cycle, which was now ending. The offerings begin with large number of bulls, 13. It has two rams instead of the customary one and 14 lambs instead of the customary seven. Verse 14, their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the 13 bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams. These are the same amounts as for all of the other grain offerings. What is puzzling is that on this first day of the feast, nothing is said about any drink offerings with the bulls. Every other day it is explicitly mentioned, but on this day, nothing is said of it. Verse 15, and one-tenth for each of the 14 lambs. It is the standard amount for the lamb offerings, verse 16. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Again, a sin offering is required, and also the regular daily offerings and Sabbath offerings, if applicable, were to be made. I'll stop right there before I go on and say this. What if the tenth of the month was to happen on a Sabbath? That's the day of uh, atonement, right? Okay, so you've got the Sabbath offering. What if the Sabbath happens to be, it is a new moon, okay? So, oh, it can't happen on a new moon. But I'm trying to show you that every single time you have an offering and then a Sabbath offering, a daily offering, a Sabbath offering, and then the 10th day of the month offering, you've got everything is cumulative. I've been telling you this feast after feast, and that's why I'm bringing up and saying, again, a sin offering is required, and also the regular daily offerings and Sabbath offerings, if applicable, were to be made. Because this feast is eight days long, you have a Sabbath for sure. You may have two Sabbaths. If one starts on the feast and then you have one on the seventh day, you've got all of these offerings that have to be made in addition to the feast days. Everybody got that? That's an important point that the Lord is trying to teach you. Everything about Christ is separate. He did this work here. He did this work here. He did this work here. You're not to say, oh, this one thing takes care of all of it. Christ did everything for us. He didn't leave anything unfinished, and that was being pictured in these offerings being cumulative. And so when you have something missing from one of the offerings, like the, the drink offering being mentioned, then it's even more peculiar. Why? I don't know, but that's what the text leaves us with. Verse 17, on the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. The number of bulls diminishes by one from 13 to 12, verse 18, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. The grain offerings were to be just as with all other bull, ram, and lamb offerings. Verse 19, also one kid of the goats is a sin offering, besides the regular burn offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. Just as with day one of the feast, so with the next. What is curious about this verse is that it mentions their drink offerings in the plural. At all other times throughout the feast, it is in the singular. Verse 20, on the third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. The number of bulls diminishes by one from 12 to 11. 
verse 21, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. The standard offering for each type of animal is required here. Verse 22, also one goat is a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. A goat is required as a sin offering, as on each day. Here is a curiosity. On day one, two, and four, it mentions the Sayir Izim, translated as kid of the goats. On day three, five, six, seven, and eight, it mentions the Sayir, translated as goat. It's the same animal, but no reason is stated for the change from Sayir Izim to Sayir. Verse 23, on the fourth day, present 10 bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. The number of bulls diminishes by one from 11 to 10. Verse 24, and their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. The standard offering for each type of animal is required here. Verse 25, also one kid of the goats is a sin offering. Besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. A sin offering and the regular offerings are required as always. Verse 26, on the fifth day, present nine bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. The number of bulls diminishes by one from 10 to nine. Verse 27, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. The standard offering for each type of animal is required here. I'll stop right there and I'll say, it seems like we're going really quickly, a lot of information. But I spent a lot of time on each one of these verses because I compared every single letter of every single verse to see if there was anything I could tell you about it. Why they're there, I may not know. But I want you to know when there is a difference in the Hebrew. Okay, it's important to me that you have this information. Somebody may be able to figure it out someday. So we're going very quickly. Mondays are a little more tedious than they are on Sunday. Bear with me as we go. Verse 28, also one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. A sin offering and the regular offerings are required as always. Verse 29, on the sixth day present eight bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. The number of bulls diminishes by one from nine to eight. Verse 30, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. The standard offering for each type of animal is required here. Verse 31, also one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. A sin offering and the regular offerings are required as always. Verse 32, on the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, and 14 lambs in their first year without blemish. The number of bulls diminishes by one from eight to seven. We started on 13, we went to seven. Anybody? Verse 33, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number according to the ordinance. The standard offering for each type of animal is required here. Two oddities are found in this verse. The first is that the same words are used here as in verses 18, 21, 24, 27, 30, 33, and 37. However, in this one verse, the word translated as drink offerings is spelled differently, leaving off the fifth letter, which is a yud, the smallest letter, it's the tenth letter of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. The second oddity is that in those same verses, the word ordinance is singular, except here, where it is plural. Verse 34, also one goat is a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. 
A sin offering and the regular offerings are required as always. As you saw, the number of bulls decreased each day from 13 to 7. Thus, in total, there were 70 bulls offered, 70, okay? And so the number 7 plays a prominent role in the festival. As the Feast of Tabernacles looks to our time in Christ, one can see that. The number 13 in Scripture, here it is. I asked you a couple minutes ago and you said, I don't know. Well, here it is. The number 13 in Scripture carries the sense of rebellion, corruption, apostasy, revolution, and so on. It is a negative number. By starting with that and ending with seven, one can see a picture of our lives in Christ. Remember, these three feasts, I asked you as a question at the end of the sermon a week ago, why is the difference between Moed, appointed time, and Chag, or feast? And I told you, never forget this. Moed means it's something that Christ fulfilled. It is an appointed time for Christ to come and fulfill this. Chag is a feast which points to our time in Christ. Our time in Christ did not start with perfection, did it? It started with corruption, apostasy, rebellion, the number 13. Okay? It is a negative number. And by starting with that and then ending with a seven, one can see a picture of our lives in Christ from our point of rebellion to one which brings us to seven, spiritual perfection. The 70 bulls of this feast are given to show us the intent of keeping us here in these temporary tents. Why doesn't the Lord just rapture us out when we believe in him? Because we have a job to do. One is to be sanctified in the spirit and become more holy. Be ye holy as I am holy, says what? Leviticus 11.44, and then Peter repeats it in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're to be holy and to become holy so that when we're raptured out of here, we're ready to meet this holy God. Some of us never do that, but that's the intent here. Everybody see that? It is so that we can grow and become spiritually mature in Christ, hopefully. So let us endeavor to do so. And there is a second reason. It's because somebody has to tell the next people behind you about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you. If he took you out of here, there wouldn't be anybody to hand out the track at the restaurant. And the waiter girl or guy, yes, there are only two sexes, they would never come to know the Lord. Oh, by the way, we've got tracks on the back wall there for anybody that will simply grab them and hand them out to people. If you're not versed in how to give the gospel, you can at least give a tract to somebody. Okay? I gave that one bit of information in the Bible study on Thursday about handing out tracts. The girl on the airplane that received three in a row. And what happened to her? She received Christ, and a couple days later, she flew into the Twin Towers. There is a time of appointed meeting for all of us to meet the Lord. She met her appointed meeting, thankfully, having first met the Lord when she then met the Lord. Everybody got that? Hand out some tracts and be holy as your Lord God is holy. Verse 35, on the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. And this is a word seen only twice here and in Leviticus 23, 36, or sacred assembly. The word comes from atzar, which signifies to shut, restrain, and so on. You think of the ending day of the feast. It's shutting off the feast year. It's the ending, okay? Some scholars say that this eighth day doesn't specifically belong to the feast, but it is rather the solemn close of the whole circle of yearly feasts. And so it is appended to this feast. That's not wholly correct. 
It is recorded as an ending portion of the feast in Nehemiah 8, verse 18, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 9, and John, in the Gospel of John, says the following about this eighth day of the feast. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It both belongs as an addendum to the feast, and it also closes out the festal year of Israel. From there, the people would have to wait for the Passover until this set cycle would begin again. Later, however, the Feast of Purim would be added at the time of the exile recorded in Esther. This would occur in the 12th month. And then after that, the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, was instituted for the ninth month of the year. That occurred during the intertestamental period, but it is recorded in John 10, verse 36. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish. This offering is the same as the feast offering seen already on the Day of Acclamation and the Day of Atonement. It thus carries a similar meaning. Verse 37. And their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance. The standard offering for each type of animal is required here. Verse 38. Also one goat has a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. A sin offering and the regular offerings are required as always. Verse 39, these you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feasts, besides your vowed offerings and your freewill offerings, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. These words sum up the entire set of offerings that were mandated since verse 28.1, and they also include any voluntary or vowed offerings of the people and any other such offerings that the people would bring forward to the Lord. Anybody know what Samuel was? The boy Samuel was an offering to the Lord. We're going to see that coming up in a sermon near you. Verse 40 finishes with these words. So Moses told the children of Israel everything, just as the Lord commanded Moses. This passage, consisting of two chapters, closes out with words which confirm the command given at the beginning. In verse 28-2, it said, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings made by fire is a sweet aroma to me. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. After this, Moses recorded the details according to the word of the Lord, and from there it was presented as directed to the children of Israel. Despite being a ton of information, quite a bit of which has been seen already in other passages. The inclusion of this now is an important step in ensuring that the people would know what was expected of them upon entry into Canaan. Unfortunately, these offerings were supposed to establish a link between the Lord and his people and to bring them together in fellowship as the people of the Lord, his people, when they honored the Lord. But as we saw in our text verse today, and as we will see in our closing verse, the people lived unholy lives and yet expected these animal offerings to cover over their disobedience. Eventually, the Lord tired of them to the point where these very laws he mandated wearied him. There was nothing of value behind the offerings they made. The comparison to our own lives should not be overlooked. 
Are we bringing rote sacrifices, offerings, and prayers to the Lord? Or is our heart behind what we present to him? Let us consider this. What the Lord desires goes beyond the words of command to the heart which is obedient to it. For those who don't know Christ, the first step in fixing that is to direct your heart to him. Only then can God look upon you with favor. What these sacrifices and offerings picture are found fulfilled in him. Come to the cross and yield yourself to God through Christ Jesus. This is my plea to you today. I was talking to the gentleman that is here from Kansas today. Give me your name again. Sean. Sean, I'm sorry. Half break, half time. We were uh, taking a half time break while everybody was in the locker room changing. We were over here having a conversation. And he was talking about some of the people in Israel. How on certain days during the year, they're out there worshiping, believe it or not, Marduk and Baal. Right now, today in Israel, he said he couldn't believe it. And then what happened? As soon as the sun went down and it was a feast day, they're out there worshiping the Lord. Exactly as you see in the Bible, they're doing to this day. And I know that's true because the guy that put this church together for us lived in Key West. And there's a giant Hasidic community down there. And guess what they do? They're the chief drug sellers of all the people there. The guys with the little things and the hats and, you know, the the, uh, cheat seats hanging out of their clothes and real pious. They're the ones that are selling the, the drugs down there. So they worship the Lord with their mouths, and they worship the world and Satan with their lives. And this is what the Bible says these people are doing then. They're doing it today. And guess what? We're doing it in the world, too. This is a Christian nation, and yet we worship Baal. We've got the statue of the satanic statue up in Kansas or Arkansas, I think it is. And then we have right next to it a Bible with a person kneeling next to it praying. I mean, come on. Are we that fickle in this world that we can't get our theology right to the point where we know there's only one God and that he expects something of us? He expects us to come to him because he first came to us. He gave his own son. He stepped out of the eternal realm and united with human flesh in order to redeem us to himself. People say, oh, I lost my wife. I lost my son. I hate God. God gave his own son. How can we hate him when he loves us that much? I was talking to Sergio and Rhoda about this this week. What if somebody goes out? We were, I think I was reading a news article and and somebody died, right? You go out and you go skiing. You're behind a boat and you die. And then people blame God. Well, why did God allow this to happen? Listen, if he didn't allow us to go skiing, what would we do? Oh, what what an unfair God. I want to go out and have fun. It's just a safe day on the beach. It doesn't matter what we do. We are taking a chance simply by breathing. It's not God's fault. He is taking care of the problem. He has provided the remedy. And everything will be as it should be if we simply yield our hearts to him. The Bible makes it so simple. I believe that God did this. He sent his son to die for me. If you will believe that in your heart and call out to God and receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you will be saved. That's all he asks of you. There's no thing that we need to do beyond that. So please, if you're listening today and you've never called on Jesus Christ, please do it because you don't know when your last breath is coming. You don't know. Nobody went into the Twin Towers and pushed that button and went up to the top place on the building and said, today I'm going to be jumping off of this tower because I don't want to burn to death. Nobody did that. 
but they were faced with that decision. Please call on Jesus today, okay? Our closing verse fits in perfectly with the opening verse, Isaiah 1, verses 12 through 14. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring me no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, all we've been looking at for the past chapter and now two chapters, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them because they came with the wrong attitude. Instead of appreciation, they said, oh, I'm forgiven. What does it matter if I go worship all next? My wife's a Moabite or whatever. I'm going to just follow her. It matters. Everything we do matters. Next week is Numbers 31 through 16. For his bride, Christ's blood was spilt. It's entitled, He Shall Bear Her Guilt. That'll be your 58th number sermon. It's marvelous. You're going to hear this again next week, so you can shut down for 30 seconds during the sermon next week. I had in my notes, because I saved notes on a passage which I may preach on someday. I mean, I got them for like the book of John, and that's going to be 97 years before we get there. But anyway, I, I had some notes, and one of them was from Numbers, and it was on this particular chapter. And I just wrote it down, and I couldn't remember who sent it to me. I was so embarrassed. I sent an email to my friend Chris up in uh, Virginia, who always has very good insights. He, man, this guy is intelligence. He's a Navy SEAL, so it shows you he's a top caliber person. But he's and I, first person I thought of, did you send this to me? No, I didn't, because I don't want to take credit for something that... Anyway, and, and then I thought, he said, he didn't? Now what? Well, I emailed somebody over here with a blue shirt on. I said, did you send this? He says, I don't know. Well, what did he do? He always keeps his emails. Man, I hit delete when I'm done with an email. I don't ever want to go that path again. He's got every email he's ever sent since he was 13 years old. Right? He goes back and he says, yeah, I send it on this day. You'll hear it in the sermon. It's marvelous, okay? Wonderful stuff. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you are lost in a desert wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there and he's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I, I got to stop and I got to say hi to Chris because he watches all the sermons and he's, he's a good guy. Maybe he's watching now or maybe he's on deployment somewhere, but he, I appreciate him. He's got very good insights. All right, before we go into our long, long poem, get at your pillow because it's going to take a while. I, I have a Maserati to offer somebody. In poetically giving the title to next week's sermon, I said, For his bride, Christ's blood was spilt. He shall bear her guilt. Remember that? I said it like 40 seconds ago. You may hear in a sermon, because I've heard this, okay, that we should never say spilt, because Christ's blood was shed, not spilt. It was in a purposeful manner. Can anybody tell me the error in that thinking? It's semantics. That's all it is. We shed skin all the time. And it happens by accident. We can spill things by accident, but we can also spill them purposefully. If you hear that kind of nonsense, 
don't let it creep into your brain, okay? Christ's blood was spilt. Christ's blood was shed. Christ's blood, whatever. It ran out on the ground below him, whatever. But it was purposeful. So well, don't get into... Semantics. What? It's semantics. It's semantics. Oh, he got it. Here, here's your Mercedes. Good job. Oh, see, he was dreaming. Two demerits for dreaming. Ah, okay. I got a poem and we'll be done. It's called The Day of Acclamation, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacles Offerings. And then the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation, maybe serve tea and crumpets. You shall do no customary work. For you, it is a day of blowing the trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet offering to the Lord, one young bull, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year without blemish, according to this word. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, as directed by me. Three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, so shall it be. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering to make atonement for you, such shall be the proffering. Besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering, heed my word, and their drink offerings according to the ordinance as a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. You shall not do any work, none, throughout the nation. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma, one young bull, so shall it be, one ram and seven lambs in their first year. Be sure they are without blemish when presented to me. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, as I instruct you, two-tenths for the one ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, so you shall do. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering, besides the sin offering for atonement, as to you I say, the regular burn offering with its grain offering, and their drink offerings, so I do relay. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days throughout the nation. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish, according to my word. Their grain offering shall be a fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for each of the thirteen bulls. It shall be two-tenths for each of the two rams, and one-tenth for each of the fourteen lambs accordingly. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering. This you shall offer as I instruct to you, besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offerings too. On the second day, present twelve young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year, without blemish too, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance, so you shall do. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering. This you shall offer, as I instruct to you, besides the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings, too. On the third day, present eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in their first year without blemish, too, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance, so you shall do. Also, one goat is a sin offering. This you shall offer as I instruct to you, besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering too. On the fourth day, present ten bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year, without blemish too, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance, so you shall do. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering. This you shall offer, as I instruct to you, besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering, too. On the fifth day, present nine bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year, without blemish, too. 
and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance, so you shall do. Also one goat is a sin offering. This you shall offer as I instruct to you, besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering too. On the sixth day, present eight bulls, two rams and fourteen lambs in their first year, without blemish too, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance, so you shall do. Also one goat is a sin offering. This you shall offer as I instruct to you, besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering too. On the seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams and fourteen lambs in their first year, without blemish, too and their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance, so you shall do. Also one goat as a sin offering, this you shall offer as I instruct to you, besides the regular burn offering, its grain offering and its drink offering, so you shall do. On the eighth day you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work according to this word. You shall present a burn offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bull also, for the ram and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance, as you now know. Also, one goat is a sin offering besides, this you shall offer as I instruct to you, the regular burn offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering, so you shall do. These you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feasts, besides your vowed offerings and your free will offerings. Thus you shall do, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and your peace offerings too. So Moses told the children of Israel everything, just as the Lord commanded Moses, so he did this thing. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess and so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand, and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the mysteries of this wonderful word. Thank you for the chance to search them out and to be able to share some of them and to, to want to know more which are as yet to be revealed. But Lord, whatever you have, your word is perfect. And so you give us a little bit of it here and a little bit of it there. And over the years, we develop and we expand upon it. And someday your word will be revealed in its fullness when we stand before you. And we'll rejoice in all the things that we missed. But until then, we'll just keep living out this life and hopefully telling others of the grace and the mercy poured upon us in the life of Jesus Christ and sharing that message with others so that we are not found with fault in us for not doing so when people are perishing all around us. Help us to be forward in our actions and bold in telling people about this wonderful message. Lord God, help us to do it, and may it be so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.